Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good, good to be morning. with you guys today. It's too quiet in here. Are you guys excited to be in church or what? Come on. If you're new with us here for the first time or if you're tuning in online for the first time, my name is Pete. I have the honor and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And today is a special day, not only because it is Valentine's Day, but because I have the distinct honor and privilege of sharing the stage today with someone who has been my best friend for the last 15 years, the mother of my children, my partner, both in life and in ministry. Kelly, thank you so much for being up here with me today. Thanks for trusting me with a microphone to actually talk next to you. <laughs> he never knows what I'm going to say. I'm always like, you're brave. So he's feeling brave today, church. That's what I know. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, guys, I'm excited about the word that's on our heart to bring to you today. And um, But before we get into that, I just want to say happy Valentine's Day to all of you. You know, I know some of you are probably like, blah, 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 happy Valentine's Day. Enjoy your sweetie. Some people, this is like a hallmark holiday. But for some people, Valentine's Day is legitimately difficult because it's a reminder of what you might feel like you don't have. But I want to remind you this morning that we are loved with the most perfect love from our Savior. And I'm not just just giving you some kind of a pat answer. The most perfect love we can ever receive comes from our Savior, and you are fully and completely loved. So today, you're not missed out on anything. You are loved. You're celebrated. And so today, happy Valentine's Day to all of you. You know, um, I know some of you guys think that this is like a Hallmark holiday. My husband probably falls into that camp. I, however, grew up in a house where, like, from my earliest memories, our family looked for reasons to celebrate everything. We had birthday cakes for no reasons on days that weren't birthday. Days. And on Valentine's Day, even before we were 10, we were getting goodies from our parents. So I remember waking up on Valentine's Day morning to like expensive chocolate from like Fowler's and our names were written on it in that hard sugar that like crunched really nice when you bit into it. I'd be like, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. And I remember probably being nine when my dad actually bought us three girls. There were three of us. We were all very young. 24 karat gold necklaces that had, it was like a little heart with like a little flower on it. They were so pretty. And I was, I always felt so special and I was so excited for Valentine's Day. And so when I got married, I was like, whoa, I can't wait because we'll have Valentine's Day every year. <laughs> Poor Pete, because he was not ready for the expectations that I was bringing into our marriage. And how many of you love stepping into a relationship where there are unknown and unexpressed expectations that you have to live up to? Yeah, we've had some doozies over the year. You know, I don't remember our premarital counselor talking to us about like, hey, do you guys know how you're going to celebrate Valentine's Day together every year? Never crossed his mind, never crossed my mind, but we've had some interesting Valentine's Day stories, haven't we? We have. So like early on in our marriage, you know, you kind of pull out all the stops when you're first married, you know, young love. I remember we had been married, uh, might've been our first married Valentine's day. And I worked at two sisters cafe in Orchard Park. I knew the owner and they were only open for breakfast and lunch. And so I had this great idea that I would talk to my friend and find out if we could have access to the entire restaurant just for us. And he was like, absolutely. So I was like, here it goes. We're going to do it. I brought in my George Foreman grill and some steaks and I got really dressed up. It was a really snowy night and I invited my husband to a dinner for two in a completely empty restaurant with candles. All stops pulled out. This was before Spotify and Pandora though. So I had one CD that I had burned with two songs. We were there for almost two hours. It was the same two songs that repeated over, over, and, over and over and over, which I can't remember. We were trying to remember what the songs were. I only remember one of them, She's Everything by Brad Paisley. And then there was another one, and I can't remember it. How do we not remember? We probably listened to it 20 times. Anyways, um, that was one of my favorite memories of 
Valentine's Day. But then actually another one was when we lived in Ohio, Pastor Lauren, our executive pastor here, and his wife Janie came and visited us with their daughter Avery. And we made a really fun dinner for the dads. And so the moms and the kids, we had the dads go in the basement and they spent some like man time together. And the kids and Janie and I, we made the dads this really fun Valentine's dinner. We had heart-shaped pasta and there were candles. The kids were so excited. It was like heart-shaped everything. So that was probably one of those like my top two, I think, for Valentine's. Days. They might be the only two that actually went well. Stop it. That's, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. I remember, no, I think it was the true. very first Valentine's Day that uh, after we moved back to Buffalo, so it would have been uh, February of 2017, we were away at a conference in Pennsylvania, and it was right around Valentine's Day, and after the conference ended, we figured, you know, let's grab, you know, a bite to eat. Let's go out to a restaurant, and so we went to this restaurant. Because it was Valentine's Day, uh, the staff of the restaurant were handing roses to all of the women who were dining there, and I'm like, sweet, score. This guy just saved me. He gave my wife a rose. I'm good to go. She did not think so. The rose did not come from me. It came from the restaurant. So we got into this huge argument and we had a five hour drive home and we argued the entire way home. Not good. I feel bad for you sometimes. I'm sorry. The the very (laughs) next year. So you'd think I would learn from that, right? No. The very next year I had come home from work, working here at the church, and I swear we had a conversation in which we agreed that we weren't going to do gifts for each other on Valentine's Day. Husbands, can I just encourage you with something? If your wife ever tells you not to get her something for Valentine's Day, don't believe her. She doesn't mean it. So I took it at face value. I didn't think about it. I didn't get anything. I come home from work that day and she and the kids have made this beautiful dinner and they're all standing there with gifts to give me for Valentine's Day. The first thought in my mind is, oh crap. Like I am screwed because I didn't get anything for her. And she was like, really? Like nothing? No flowers or chocolates? Okay, so this is probably more of a fail on my part. But however, I will say this. We agreed on no gifts. I didn't say we weren't going to celebrate. You're still going to have like dinner. I was like, not even a flower, but we'll get there. We will. And you know what? And he, you've done a great job. And I have, I got her a cake roll this year. I've already eaten half of it. I've got the other (laughs) half for a home. So Valentine's day came early this year. He was like, I'm not screwing this one up, but you didn't script the other ones either. Listen, I've had a long way to grow and to come in relationship. And you know, at at the heart of all of it, I just love excuses to celebrate people. I love excuses to get cake and to give chocolate and to celebrate my husband and my kids. And I like the reminder for my husband with Valentine's day, like, don't forget to celebrate me, but which is selfish, right? But listen, this is partially reflective of our culture right? Because we attach some sense of fulfillment from how our relationships are going, right? We gauge how fulfilled our life is based on our relationships and how we're being celebrated by other people. Maybe we are gauging our fulfillment in life based on goals that we've achieved. Maybe for you, it's not relationships. Maybe it's goals at work. But what I'm learning over the years and having been guilty of kind of falling prey to culture's emphasis on the fulfillment that comes from relationships alone, I'm learning that God actually has a different gauge for fulfillment in life. And that's really what I want to share with you today, is that we think relationships fulfill our life. We think that our marriage is what fulfills our life, or that achieving these goals. But God actually wants his power 
living through a surrendered life. And that's really what a fulfilled life looks like to God. Because with that, he can do anything. And the cool thing is, is that that surrendered life that is filled with his power, that kind of fulfillment is available to all of us, to everybody, no matter what your relational status is. You don't have to be married to experience that. And so when we give our lives to Christ, we decide that we are going to live surrendered. We've decided that we are going to change our purpose in life from living for our own desires to living for his. And our purpose in life, once we accept Jesus, is to know him and to make him known. And that's all of our purpose, no matter what your relational status is. And speaking of relational status, I would venture to guess that I think I can probably cover the full gamut of everyone in the room and those of you watching online today that you probably fall into one of the following categories. Either you are dating someone right now or you're single and looking to date. You know, you're kind of on the prowl. You're looking, you're looking to date or maybe you're not looking. You're single and you, you've, you've tried the dating thing and you never, ever, ever, ever want to go on another date. <laughs> Again, and maybe you're totally cool with that and you're content. You've actually come to enjoy and appreciate the calling, the gift that God has given you in the gift of singleness. And maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're here and you're divorced. Maybe you are widowed. There are a number of us here who are married as well. And no matter what your relational status is, the apostle Paul calls all of us in uh, Philippians 127 to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 4.1, he says something very similar, that we are called to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. Now, what is that calling? Well, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, we are called to live upright and holy lives that are full of purpose in every single season. So let's not waste the season we're in because we're hoping for the next season to get here quickly, and that's when we'll find fulfillment. So many people I know are like, well, when I get married, that's when I'll be able to fulfill my purpose. No, don't waste the season you're in. Leverage the season you're in. Steward your season well, because every season has its own strengths and weaknesses. Keep seeking Jesus in the season you're in right now. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We said last week when Jesus was being kind of um, tested by the Pharisees, you know, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment of all? And, and Jesus responded with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. In other words, love God with everything that you have. And that's really where stability in life comes from, brothers and sisters. That's where we find stability. When we are prioritizing our relationship with Jesus, when we're keeping him the center and the focus, and when we're learning to love him with everything that we are. So your heart, your soul, your mind, so all the stuff that's inside, your strength, that refers to your body and all the things you do, every part of who you are, prioritizing who he is, that's where stability in life comes from. And stability will sustain you through every season you walk through, every relationship that you encounter. And you know, if you're single here today and you fall into one of those single categories that Pete mentioned, I just want to remind you that you've been given a gift in the season that you're in. And, you know, Pete mentioned it a moment ago, there are strengths and weaknesses to every season that we encounter in life. And it's our job as believers to leverage the strengths of those seasons and to identify the challenges. And then in the challenges, ask God for growth and for his help and for his grace. And so everybody's 
strengths will be different in their seasons. But if you are single here today, I want to just remind you of one of the strengths that your season might hold. And that might be flexibility and the ability to focus on things that are on God's heart. See, you're not, you're not, your attention's not divided to what your spouse needs and what your family needs. Doesn't mean you don't have a full schedule, but you might have more flexibility than those of us that have spouses to be able to make decisions and to go here, go there, put your hands to things that are in your heart. So don't miss the strength of that season. And you know, if you are looking for more insight into that season of singleness, Pete actually preached a message two years ago during our Facebook official series. And it was a message that was all about singleness. So I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that. There was gold in that message. So this week, we are going to focus primarily on marriage relationships, but the principles that we're going to talk about today are applicable to all types of relationships. So I just wanted to put that out there up front so that if you're not married, you're not like tuning out and surfing Facebook right now, you're going to be able to get some stuff out of this message today. And as we're talking about marriage, we always like to put out somewhat of a disclaimer because we know we live in a culture that is constantly trying to redefine what marriage is. And so we want to let everyone here today and those of you watching online know that we are a Bible-believing church and believe that God created marriage in the beginning to be between one man and one woman. So we want that understanding to be put out up front that that's what we're talking about when we refer to marriage. And so with that being established, Let's go ahead and dive in. Kelly, why don't you give us a biblical framework and starting point for marriage? Okay, I sure will. Before I do that, I just want to mention this. Marriage is not the goal of life. So sometimes as we are walking through life, we think that there are these milestones we want to achieve and marriage has to be one of them. Marriage is not the goal of life. I just want to remind us one more time that marriage is one of the relationships that God will use in our life to help us grow and to know him more. But the goal of life is to know Jesus and to make him known. So that's the goal of life. So with with that as the backdrop, I want to say two things about marriage. The first is that marriage is a picture. And we've probably heard this. If you've been around church for any bit of time, you've probably heard that. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've most likely heard Ephesians 5 quoted. That's the passage of scripture where we hear that wives should submit to their husbands, that husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. So this is where we gain the understanding that what God really wanted through this covenant of marriage is that the world would get to see what it looks like to see long suffering love that was in it to the very end, right? It's till death do us part. So marriage was meant to be a picture of the love of how Christ loves us. The second thing is that marriage is a covenant. Now, covenant is not a word that we use very often in today's culture, but in biblical times, there was a great understanding for what a covenant was. I just want to uh, tell you what the definition of covenant is. It's a strong, solemn agreement between two parties who come together to make a contract, agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. I want to read those last four things to you. It's a contract agreeing on promises, so you're giving your word, stipulations, there are conditions to it, privileges, there's some benefits. Okay. And, okay, thank you. There are people like, ha, 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 ha. Okay. And, <laughs> okay, just, and responsibilities, right? We take part in making sure that this covenant stays intact, all right? And here's the thing. When I look at these two things, that marriage is a picture and that it's a covenant, I'm reminded that this is not a small thing. 
This is not something to be entered into lightly. This is not something that we just say, you know what? I'm just going to try it. And if it doesn't work out, we'll figure it out. No, that's not, we don't, we don't enter into it lightly. But what I have observed and even what I've experienced, maybe myself coming into marriage is that when we're young, we look at marriage as this means to a storybook fairy tale ending. We want to be, us women, we want to be whisked off our feet. We want to experience all of the things that we see in the movies, when all the butterflies. And while there is an element of romance to marriage, we find ourselves in pursuit of this flawless love when we enter marriage. And sometimes we get into marriage and we're disappointed. And I've got news for you. We're made for flawless love, church. Men and women, we are made for flawless love. We just have turned to the wrong places to get flawless love. We think, oh, if I get married and I can find the perfect spouse, they're going to love me unconditionally. They're going to love me for who I am, and it's going to be happily ever after, and I'm going to have my fairy tale. That kind of flawless love isn't here on earth between humans. That flawless love comes from our source, so Jesus is the only source of flawless love. And that's, I find, where a lot of people experience some disappointment and disillusionment with marriage is because they are looking for that flawless love from their spouse. If you remember the mirror from last week where we wrote down the things that we are, you know, learning to say to ourselves because we have first received this kind of love from our heavenly father. But a lot of people don't go first to God to receive this love. Instead, they turn to their spouse who is also broken and hurting and wounded in their own way and unable to give us fully, completely flawless love. And this is where a lot of people experience this disappointment. Again, we need to understand that the only source for flawless love is our creator, is Jesus. We can't get that from our spouse or any other earthly relationship, what only Jesus can give us. And I think he actually designed it this way. If we could find total fulfillment in a person, in a human relationship, then we wouldn't need him. But it's only when we look to him first Do we find our true identity and source of strength and flawless love? Are we then made complete and whole? And we bring that whole and healed person to the marriage covenant and offer it to the person that we are committing ourselves to for the rest of our lives. And that's when God can do some amazing things through that marriage and make it a picture to the world around us of the kind of love that he has for the church, that he has for all of us. So only Jesus is our source of flawless love. And you know, church, I've been guilty of not living this way in my marriage. You know, Jesus is my everything. Long before I had Pete, I had Jesus in my life, and I lived like he was my everything. And over the years, what I have come to realize is that there are a lot of days where I live like Jesus is like a good thing or a great thing in my life, but he's not my everything. And if 2020 didn't highlight that for me, I don't know what did. But when I found myself looking for sure footing and I was looking for security and stability and I was looking for distraction and peace, the Lord revealed to me where I was turning to get those things. And I realized that I was not 100% of the time running to my Savior, my everything, the one that I'm supposed to be deriving my stability from. A lot of times I turned to this guy. Because let me tell you something, church. 
I adore this man. I love him so much. And because I love him so much and because I see so much Jesus in him, it's easy for me to lean on him and to draw from him things that I'm not meant to, to put expectations on him, to fulfill things in me that he wasn't really meant to fulfill. And when that happens, there's some strife that happens there. And a couple of weeks ago, I actually apologized to Pete. You know, we did this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And during that time, I was just experiencing some ups and downs. Ladies, you might identify with that. Men, maybe you get that too. I don't know. Just this like, ugh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. I'm just like in a bad mood. I'm just unpleasant. I'm cranky. I'm irritable. And there's no other physiological reason for that, if you know what I mean. I'm just like, blah. Okay. I just not in a great place mentally and emotionally. And like people come home from work. Are you good? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. That's never true. If your wife says, I'm fine, I'm fine. It was not fine. And I remember going to the Lord. I was like, God, what is it? And he was like, Kelly, you're missing me. Like, it's me. You're drawing from Pete. You're trying to get from Pete and from other things in life what only I can give you. And I had a really sweet moment with the Lord where I repented for not keeping Jesus as my everything. And where I then went to my husband and I apologized and said to him, I was like, Pete, I'm sorry for just like my overall demeanor and how I've been acting because really I am putting expectations on you to try to make me happy. When the issue's not here, my issue was here. I had some stuff that I had to work out with God. I had some stuff that was surfacing in my heart. I was reminded that there are things that I can only get from Jesus So in those moments, I realized that what I was doing, I was drawing from my mate instead of my maker. And that's not how God wants it. God wants us to always want the maker. He wants us to enjoy our mate. And sometimes God even provides for us through the people around us. So sometimes God provides for me through Pete or through family or friends, all of us, right? We experience God through our relationships, but for everything that we need, we are supposed to go to Jesus. And that's an easy thing for a lot of us to kind of fall into is to look to our spouse or look to those closest to us for that flawless love, for that stability. But again, we can't look to our mate, the things that we can only get from our maker. But the cool thing is, is that as we do go to our maker and we receive that flawless love, we're then able to reflect that love just like we see it in the mirror to our spouse and to those who are closest to us. You know, the Apostle Paul had some really great insight into relationships and how followers of Jesus should do relationships in many of the letters that he wrote throughout the New Testament. I want to read a passage to you today from the book of Philippians chapter 2. And this is not traditionally a marriage passage per se. It's really a passage about relationships in general. And as I read it to you, I almost feel like the Apostle Paul. He's writing this to the church in Philippi that he planted, these these people that he loves very much. And so I want you to hear my heart as if it were the apostle Paul's heart, who's just aching for them to know how to do relationships better. Cause we asked the question last week, like relatable, are you able to relate? So keep that in mind. As I read this to you, Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And one translation puts that focusing on one goal. Then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, again, this isn't just marriage, in all of your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, even though he was God, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness, he became one of us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in our relationships with each other, we are called to consider the example that Jesus modeled for us. And you guys, Jesus went to great lengths to make himself relatable to us. The writer of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to relate with us in our weaknesses. He became one of us in order to relate to us. And if Jesus did that, then that should help us understand that we've got to be able to think like Jesus thinks. That's what he means by have the same mindset that Jesus had in your relationships with each other. You know, last week we talked about how we need to first receive the love that God has for us so we can love ourselves well. Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Remember, the degree to which you and I receive all that God has given us and wants to give us is the degree to which we're going to be able to have more meaningful and fulfilling relationships, both with ourselves and with the people in our lives. But according to the passage we just read in Philippians, not only do we need to receive the love of God, we also need to receive the mindset of Christ, which sounds impossible unless the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you. You have the mind of Christ, Scripture says. So we need to think like he thinks, and that's what motivated him to come to this earth to become one of us, to love and serve his bride. And so while it's not a passage on uh, marriage specifically and, and really just on relationships in general, I can't think of a relationship in our lives that requires us having the mindset of Christ more than the relationship of marriage. And so how do you relate to your spouse? Are you relatable? We're going to spell it out for you today. We're going to use the word relate to offer six ways, six suggestions for you to better love your spouse, better relate to your spouse. You should be a preacher. (laughs) Woo! That was good. That was good. (laughs) Okay. Refocus. All right. So the first suggestion that we want to give to you today is to resign from the mission of changing your spouse. All right, let's face it. We all probably can identify one thing about our spouse, maybe, that we might be okay with being a little bit different, except for me. There aren't any. You are lying. No, I'm not lying. Although you probably have. Okay, maybe. How about my slurping? He does slurp every drink. Come on. Every drink, but that's okay. But I'm okay. Remember, I'm going to try not to do that. Okay. So when we try to change our spouses, it doesn't go well. Trust me. If he slurps and I even look at him, he's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I was just looking at you. He's like, you're totally irritated with me. I'm like, I'm not saying anything. So listen, it doesn't go well when we try to change our spouse. And there's a reason for that. 
We're not the ones that are meant to change our spouses. That's the Holy Spirit's job to change our spouse. Um, I can't think of one time that I've heard somebody say, you know what? For 10 years, I've been trying to change this thing about my husband and it finally worked. Not usually the stories that I hear. They're actually a lot more sad than that usually. (laughs) You know, when we try to, you know, take on the mission of changing our spouse, not only is it creating an incredible amount of frustration in you, but it's also causing your spouse to feel like you don't really love them for them, for who they are and who you marry them just as they are. And, you know, we, we tend to get into this space where we've adopted this mission of changing our spouse, but the more you try to do that, how many of you know, whenever somebody tries to make you do something, the more you resist doing that very thing. And a lot of us have been distracted from the mission that God gave all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, your mission in life, regardless of your vocation, regardless of what you do for a living, your mission is to know Jesus and make him known, to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. But we've been distracted from that mission because we've adopted the mission of trying to change the person that we're married to, to make them love us better, to make them serve us better, to make us feel better. And so we're suggesting that you resign from that mission so that you can embrace the mission that Jesus gave you, which is really the only thing that's going to bring true meaning and fulfillment in your lives. So I'm going to resign from stop trying to make you slurp. That would be wonderful. Okay. So I'll just, I'm going to leave you alone and I'll say this. If change is really what you want for your spouse, let's say that you've identified something. You're like, no, Kelly, this isn't funny. Like there's really something that I'm worried about. We pray. So when we pray, that is our most powerful tool. And as a spouse, you have a unique anointing and authority to pray for your husband or your wife. So don't underestimate the power of prayer. We try to control our spouses, but trust me, you would much rather have the Holy Spirit be in control of your spouse than you being in control of your spouse. And we're not saying that you don't change once you're married. All of us should be continually being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So that's between us and God, right? That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we relinquish that control and we say, Holy Spirit, I'm actually going to give that to you. I'm going to trust you with my spouse. I'm going to trust you to change that in my spouse if you think it needs to be changed. It actually takes a burden off of your shoulders because we weren't meant to carry that burden. And it's amazing how much lighter you feel. And you give that burden to the one that can really do something about it. Yeah. So that's the R. The E in relate is to endure the hard times. It's no secret to anyone here today or watching online that in life, you're going to go through some stuff. There's some hard times that you're going to have to go through. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And marriage is no exception to that. And Jesus can relate with that. In Hebrews, it says that he endured the cross. And if Jesus endured the cross for the sake of his bride, for the joy set before him on the other side of the cross, then we should be able to... Look to Jesus as our example and endure the hard times that come. You know, I think for some of us, before we're married, we look at marriage through through rose-colored glasses as if it's this, like, picture-perfect scenario that's like rainbows and butterflies, and I'm going to marry Prince Charming, or I'm going to marry this perfect woman, and then all my needs will be met, and then I'll be happy for the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way. Marriage is hard. Anybody that's been married longer than a minute knows that marriage is really, really hard work. And we go through hard times. There is some fun in there too. We'll get to that later. But it can be very hard. 
And, um, you know, Pete mentioned last, uh, one, in one of his past sermons that last year he and I actually started going to marriage counseling. So he and I have been married 14 years. It'll be 15 years in May. And this past year, we just had some things come up. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a conversation, whether it's in a marriage relationship or otherwise, but have you ever been in a conversation where a little thing turned into a big thing and then it just got like bigger and bigger? And then that big thing turned into like a day long argument that turned into a two day long argument into a three day. It just kept like escalating, right? And we got to this place where this little thing that turned into this big thing it started to just reveal areas of a lot of unhealth in both of us. And it became almost impossible for us to communicate with one another. So we're trying to work through it. We're putting into practice all the things that we've tried to teach to all the people that we're responsible to help disciple. And it just wasn't working. And I found myself in a place where I just kept feeling rejected. And through counseling, the counselor kind of helped us to see that, um, you know, we all bring stuff into marriage. We bring past wounds and hurts into marriage uh, that we experienced had nothing to do with our spouse. They happened long before I met Pete, but I had this bruise of rejection. Uh, And so what happened is that as Pete and I were trying to communicate and talk, he kept bumping my bruise. And that bruise that I carry is this fear of rejection. And so I was like, ah, ah, ah. It was like, I couldn't even think straight and we were getting nowhere. And the situation just kept getting more difficult and more difficult. And as she was communicating out of that bruise being bumped, she was doing so in a way that it was kind of bumping my bruise and being, you know, a performance oriented perfectionist. And as I realized that the way I was responding was exacerbating her hurt and causing her to feel even more rejection, I started to beat myself up. And having been through rejection myself, I've shared with you that I've, you know, had one failed marriage where my first wife walked out on me and I began to go to this place mentally where I started to think, well, maybe she was right to leave me. Maybe, maybe there was a reason that she left me. And now that things are getting hard, what if, what if Kelly want, maybe she'd be right to leave me. And that's kind of where my mind went to. I was in a dark space and it kind of scared me a little bit. I think it scared both of us. That's where a red flag kind of went up and we were like, you know what? We actually, we need the Holy Spirit's wisdom here and we need to enlist the help of somebody that's trained to kind of help us walk through this and get healing. Cause it was definitely clear that the Holy Spirit was putting his finger on something that he was wanting healed in us. And in that moment, I remember telling him, listen, I'm not going anywhere and you'd be lucky to get rid of me that, to get rid of me that easily. Number one, you should try again. It's not going to happen. You're stuck with me. And I was like, we should probably do counseling. So we did counseling and I want to tell you this, church, if any of you are needing counseling, if you're needing help, if you have come up on hard times in your marriage and you're like, you know what, we just, we are, we're at, we're at an impasse here. We, it's not moving forward. We can't resolve this issue. Counseling is a great option. You know, sometimes a trusted friend is a blessing and you can, that, you know, that will suffice. But sometimes you need someone that's actually trained. When we were going through our difficult time last year, um, some of my most trusted friends sat and listened to me for hours as I like sobbed and externally processed to them. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. The Holy Spirit was just trying to heal something that was really deep in there. You know, there's a reason that the Apostle Paul, not once, but twice in two different letters that he wrote, said that we need to bear with one another in love. That word bear means it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes you've just got to grin and bear it, and we don't give up when times get tough. We endure the hard times. All right? So that's the E. Yep. And hard times will make you stronger if you let it. So persevere through it because there is strength and healing on the other side. Okay. 
The L is that we're going to love like Jesus. <laughs> Not a big deal, right? Like so easy. That Not was really. funny. Okay. Not okay. Really. Let me explain what loving like Jesus looks like. Okay. So Jesus forgives over and over and over and over. There's no end to how much he forgives. He loves us when we're at our worst. He loves us when we're missing the mark. He's selfless, even so much so that he went to the cross and he gave his life. So literally to the point of laying down everything in his life, he was selfless. That's how we're called to love our spouses. And he also, Paul said in Philippians, didn't consider his position as the son of God seated on the throne of God as something that he needed to cling to or hold on to and use to his own advantage. Instead, it says that he humbled himself and became obedient by becoming one of us. He put on flesh and bone and came to serve his bride. He came to win his bride back to himself, which means in our marriages, we need to elevate our spouse's needs above our own, which is not easy to do, is it? It requires the mindset of Christ because let's face it, from the moment we're born until the moment we get married, like we're thinking primarily about one person, me, myself, and I. And then we get married and all of a sudden we're supposed to magically just automatically start preferring our spouse's needs above our own. And it's not automatic because we are selfish by nature and it requires us being submitted to the Holy Spirit and asking him to give us the mindset of Christ so that we can elevate our spouse's needs above our own. You know, getting back even to this mirror here, if I'm to have the mindset of Christ, the first thing I need to do is understand that this is how God has loved me. And then I, you know, speak those statements and begin to love myself. And that's how I'm able to then reflect that love to another person. It requires having the mindset of Christ, thinking like Jesus has thought about me. So I think that about me, which helps me to understand how he thinks about other people. And that's how we love our spouses better. You know, if you're here today and you're married to somebody who is not a Christ follower, I want to encourage you for a second. I can imagine some of the challenges that you must face, or maybe you know somebody that they are a believer in Jesus and they're following Jesus, but their spouse is not a believer. I just want to remind you, if that is you here today, that you have an incredible opportunity to be a picture of what the love of Jesus looks like. You've experienced the love of your Savior. You've experienced how much he transforms you and how he has been long-suffering and how he's forgiving. As you reflect that to your spouse, they are literally getting to experience what it is to be loved like Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you to not lose heart and to remember that you are a picture of the love of Jesus to your spouse. And you have no idea the implications that that could have and even helping them to understand their need for Jesus. It's so good. So the next point, the A, is to affirm your spouse publicly and privately. You guys, our words have power. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. The words we speak can literally bring life into the person that you're speaking them to, can speak life into your marriage, or can take life from it. Our words have power. So affirm them publicly and privately, but don't only let it be public. All right, because when you're doing it publicly, when you're, you know, posting some nice thing on, on, on Facebook about your spouse and that's all you ever do and you don't do it privately, like you're the one that's getting the kudos for that. 
You know, your friends are looking on Facebook saying, oh, look how much he celebrates his wife. And then, you know, she takes the the phone and shows it to him. Why aren't you more like this? Don't only do it publicly. You got to do it privately as well. Because when you do it one-on-one, it communicates to your spouse that I see you. I value you. I appreciate you. Publicly is great too because that helps your spouse feel celebrated. And listen, even if words of affirmation aren't your primary love language, there's not a human being alive that does not want to feel known seen, loved, and celebrated. And the words of affirmation have double-sided power too. So we always have heard that it's powerful to the person hearing it, but it's also powerful for the person saying it. Because when I affirm my husband and I tell him privately or publicly, I say, you are such an incredible leader and dad, whatever. Whenever I'm affirming him with my words, it's putting my focus onto all of the right things about him. So if any of you have ever um, had a scenario in your marriage where you feel like all you can think about are the negative things about your marriage or maybe the negative things about your spouse, these words of affirmation and finding even the one, even if there's only one thing that you can think of, finding the one thing you can affirm and actually using your own words to say, you know what? I see this in you and thank you. Or maybe this is one of the reasons why I married you. And I just love that about you. It helps to reframe and it shifts our focus. It reframes how we're looking at them so that we're starting to experience the, the focus of the positive and not the negative. And so once we start to get in the habit of doing that, it becomes something that feeds life to the person hearing and to the person that that is giving it because what is celebrated will be repeated. That's a principle that we live by, even in leadership that like any behavior that you want to see repeated, you celebrate that. And then as that is repeated more and more, you're going to, like Kelly just said, see more of the positive instead of focusing on all the things that you wish were different or that you could change. Very good. All right. So the T that we're going to give you today is talk to your spouse. Now, this might seem like a no-brainer if you haven't already gathered. I am a talker, and I can, listen, I'm good at one-sided conversations. Poor Pete. (laughs) I could talk to a brick wall. All right. But talking to your spouse and talking at your spouse are two totally different things. The goal of talking to your spouse is conversation. And there are two parts to conversation. There's talking and there's listening. Listening is a part of conversation and you want to listen to understand. You're not just listening to formulate what your response is next. I would know nothing about that. And if you're a talker like I am, I need to be careful with this because I don't always listen as well as I run my mouth. So I will and then I'm like, nothing. Like I just like run, run, run. Okay. I have learned with my husband that I need to give him space to process. So in a conversation, I have to talk, 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 if that's what, if that's how it starts. And then I have to wait. It is. <laughs> and then I have to wait. Oh, that's how they all start. So then I wait and I wait. And even if it gets awkward, nothing, I'm still waiting, waiting. And when I do that, I'm actually giving him space to participate in the conversation and to go through the process he needs to go through. I remember one time when we were having a conversation, it was actually probably about a year ago. And usually I run my mouth. This time I didn't. He was talking to me about something that was on his heart. There was a long pause, and I was like, and I bit my tongue. I was like, I'm not going to say it. And he kept talking. And at the end of the conversation, he had no idea that I intentionally bit my tongue. He actually said to me, Kelly, I felt you listening to me. Thank you. And I was like, yes. Because like, but I like had to, it was a conscious decision. Like I was like, no, don't do it. So I didn't. All right, go ahead. 
So this is good listening. You know, for me, I have a tendency to listen just so that I can figure out what I'm going to say, like how I can formulate my defense because I get really defensive. But I also uh, I care more in the past uh, have cared more about how what she's saying is making me feel. And I am learning. Now, I'm a slow learner. It's taken me almost 15 years. I am slowly learning to to be intentional about listening so that I understand where she's coming from. Not just what she's saying and how it's making me feel, but like, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? So listening to understand where your spouse is at and what they're going through emotionally. And when we say talking to your spouse, we also want to clarify and help you understand. Some of you are like, yeah, I got that. We talk every day. This one's good. Check. Move on to the next one. It's not just the details of life. It's not just talking about your schedules. All right, like, oh, you've got to take, I'll take the kid to, you know, dance recital. You take this one over here to football practice or whatever. It's, we all have to manage the details of our families, but that's not what we're talking about here with talk to your spouse. We're talking about having intentional set aside times where you can have meaningful conversation and dialogue with your spouse, where you can ask them, like, how are you really doing? How are things in life? How are you feeling about what we're experiencing right now? We've got to have those set-aside times to do that. Yeah, we have this set of questions that we ask each other. It winds up being about once a month. So we will ask these questions to each other on a date. If we've not been on a date, it'll just be sometimes over dinner or sitting in bed together, whatever. We have these three questions that we ask. They're really simple. What's the best thing about life right now? What's the most concerning thing about life right now? And how can I be a better wife or a husband to you? And we might only ask those questions once a month, but when we ask those questions and we listen to the answers without getting defensive, listen to the answers, it actually gives you a good springboard for conversation, meaningful conversation through the rest of the month. Because then you know the things to be checking in on. Hey, that thing you were about, how is that going? Oh, that thing that you were so excited about, I'm just rejoicing with you. I saw that again today. Yay, you know, and then you're able to continually work on becoming a better spouse to, like for me, to my husband, right? So those questions are really a great springboard and an easy thing to just incorporate to meaningfully connect with your spouse. All right, so we're almost at the end. All right. The last letter, the E in relate, is to enjoy the journey. You guys, life doesn't have to be all serious all the time, which I need to learn because I err on the side of seriousness, but like laugh together, have fun together, play jokes on each other, go on dates together. Like, what? He was, he, he's getting better at it though. Cause last night he was like <laughs> dancing in our hallway upstairs and we were getting ready for bed. I was like, what in the world? This is amazing. So Mr. Serious Pastor Pete, he was like dancing. The boys were like, mom, what's going on out there? I was like, your dad's hilarious. Okay. Sorry. I know he didn't know I was going to share that. Okay. No, keep going. I won't even look at you. Keep going. Stick to the script, sorry. Kelly. We're enjoying the journey. These are our friends. <laughs> go ahead. Keep talking. I can't look at him. No, no, but seriously, like some of you have lost the joy in your marriage because you forgot why you even married the person to begin with. So rediscover what you saw in that person. Rediscover why you married that person and learn to laugh together. Celebrate the little victories along the way. Like when your child finally has a breakthrough in understanding a principle that you've been trying to help them understand. Celebrate that. Have fun. Or when you've had a three or four day long argument and you finally have a breakthrough and you come to a place of understanding emotionally where each other are at. Like enjoy the makeup sex. Like have fun together. Like it's okay to celebrate and enjoy the journey. Or you could have just because sex too. 
And we're going to enjoy the journey together. You know, as we relate to one another the way that Jesus related to us, healing happens. The way that Jesus related to us by demonstrating the way that he lived and dying on a cross, he brought healing to our lives. When we relate to others the way that he related to us, it brings healing in our lives. So our marriages bring healing. The relationships in our life, as we relate to others, whether you're married or not, when we relate to others the way that Jesus related to us, it brings healing. And when we get healed, we then are able to point people to Jesus so that they can get healed. And this is the beauty of being a Christ follower, is that we get to bring Jesus into our world We get to know him and make him known, like we said in the beginning. And we get to show people the love of Jesus. And this is what marriage on a mission looks like. We are on a mission to display the love of Christ. And when I look at that screen there, I see the man that I adore. But what I pray happens is that because of how we love one another and how we relate to one another, that the picture of Jesus that the world sees gets clearer. We get to be a part of that. And all of you get to be a part of that. No matter what season you find yourself. And you don't have to be married to be a part of that picture of Jesus that people see. We all contribute. As we relate to one another, we all get to contribute to this beautiful picture of Jesus and his love. It's so good. Collectively, this is not just marriage. The way we relate to each other. If we do it God's way, it shows the world around us. It shows the people in your life a more clear picture of the love that God has and wants to give to every single one of us. So let's pray for them. Would you pray, Kelly? Oh, Lord, we thank you for today. God, we say happy Valentine's Day to our Savior. God, we celebrate love today, God, and we celebrate the love that you've given to us because we are only able to love because you have first loved us. And so, Lord, we celebrate that today, and we thank you for it. And, God, I thank you for every person present in this room. God, I pray for the married couples that are here today, Lord, that are they are pictures of your love, that their marriages are pictures of how you have loved the church. And, Lord, I pray for strength, for grace, for endurance. Lord, I pray that today there would be refreshing in their day. That as they go home today and as they celebrate, maybe they don't celebrate, but that they would be reminded of the beauty of what you're doing through the picture of their marriage to the world around them, Lord. God, I pray for those that are here today that are not married. God, those that are walking in different seasons that are not married. God, I pray that you would help them to find purpose in the season that they are in. God, we are a body of believers here today that all look different. We are all walking in different seasons, but we all have the same goal. We want to know you and make you known. We want to be healed and whole so that we can point other people to you so that they can become healed and whole and experience the beautiful love of our Savior. God, I pray that you would help us to stay focused on the mission, the mission of reflecting you to the world. God, would you give us grace, give us every bit of strength that we need to reflect you to our world. 
God, we ask that people would come to know you because of the way that we relate to one another and the way that we relate to them. Would you use our lives to draw all men to you? God, we love you. I just pray blessing over every person, every family here today. We thank you for this day that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen. 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 Can you guys give it up for my wife? Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We hope this was an encouraging message to you and something that you'll be able to take home and kind of unpack and your devotional time with the Lord. Don't forget to sign up for Serve Day, which is coming up this Saturday. Use the Life Church Buffalo app to do so. If you haven't downloaded that, you need to. Uh, guys, we love you so much. Hope you have an awesome week. God bless, and we'll see you next week.